Coop the Thrill, shining headlights on the road less traveled. The podcast about thrilling careers and exotic lifestyles, how you might go about pursuing them, and inspiring stories from the driven individuals who have been there, done that. I'm your host, Chad Herman. Let's take a ride. Welcome to the show. We're sitting down here with Jonathan Woolley, editor and publisher of S3 Magazine. How's it going, man? It's going, man. It's good to be here. This is awesome. I'm like, I don't know if you guys know or if I can even say it, but I'm like the guinea pig, which is, <laughs> yeah, is kind of rad. First recorded episode here, so I figured <laughs> Jonathan would be a great guy to sit down with, not make me too nervous. Jonathan, I've actually known for years through a friend of mine, like my best friend growing up, Jonathan married his sister when we were younger. <laughs> Known you for probably, what, 15 years or more? Yeah, at least. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I've known you through, what, Austin and Josh. And then back in the day, you had the crazy wild, like, fro hair and everything. And, and we had, like, an instant, like, bond because of Hawaii and just kind of, like, island style and culture and everything like that. And so, yeah, I don't know, man. It's awesome to be here. Thank you. And it's awesome to see you having all these badass adventures. Oh, thank you, man. Same to you. I'm always uh, always a fan, always keeping up with you. Unfortunately, don't get to hang out that often, but uh, we'll have to change that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I just want to talk to you uh, about the magazine. You know, what does S3 stand for? Okay, well, yeah, S3 stands for Speed, Style, and Sound. I've never been too keen on that necessarily, but it's the name that we inherited and there's a long story there I can go into if you want me to. But, like, uh, I didn't start the magazine. I got hired out of college. Okay. Long story short, you know, was floundering around after college. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Definitely knew what I didn't want to do, you know? Like, I, I just, I didn't, I could not see myself finishing college and going to get a corporate job. Like, I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't imagine it. It wasn't, it wasn't working for me. So I was floundering around, messing with cars and stuff. I was always into writing. I would like been published in, in school before, you know, stuff like that. Always been super into cars. So obviously a car magazine had come up, you know, like that was a dream yeah. job, but it just wasn't probable, especially in Georgia. You know, you had to pretty much go to Detroit for that stuff or the West Coast, but it was so competitive on the West Coast that it just, it, you know, it was a pipe dream. And then I found an opening for a job at this magazine called S3 that I wasn't familiar with, but it looked good. It was cool. Went balls to the walls, got the job, and then six weeks later got laid off. And the story there was basically they had more than one magazine. They had a motorcycle magazine that was killing it. Uh, S3 was not, and it was kind of a saturated thing. If you guys don't know, we're like tuner stuff. That's where our roots are. Like, so, you know, all the Hondas and drift stuff and Japanese culture and, and, and you know, little four-cylinder boosted turbos that are wild. Mm -hmm. That was our thing. That was exploding at the time. This was mid-2000s. Fast and the Furious just came Yeah, out. that had hit. So, like, yeah. it, it was it was mainstream culture, you know? Mm -hmm. It was awesome. Anyway, so six weeks after I got hired, I got laid off. They had sold the magazine to a California conglomerate that was buying it to kill it. So there was no chance of, you know, moving or, or transferring or anything like that. So I was screwed. And I was basically in his office 
every morning, like the week I got laid off, you know, because we had to finish the issue. So it's like, you're laid off, but you're still here for a few weeks. So uh, I was in his office every morning, you know, trying to beg and plead and get him to give us a chance. He had hired a couple of us at the same time to kind of put some spark in the magazine and then got an offer, I guess. Finally, he was like, listen, you know, him and his wife were business partners. He was like, this is kind of our firstborn. It's the first magazine we did. We don't want to see it die. We'll sell it to you and the designer. If you can get some money, we'll be kind of patient there and we'll let you use the office. We'll teach you how to publish. He's like, because you honestly don't know. Can we cuss? <laughs> that, that was his quote. He goes, you don't know about actually yeah. running a magazine. You've just written a couple articles. No offense. Uh, he's like, so we got to teach you all of that. And I was like, okay, we're in. So we're calling grandma, you know, selling cars, doing whatever we can do to draw up some money. Got the magazine. That was uh, the very beginning of 2006. And, and so, yeah, that's it. So, like, we're not necessarily entrepreneurs. We're not businessmen. <laughs> we yeah. don't know what we're doing. We didn't make just, up the name Speed, Style, and Sound. It just kind of happened. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, the thing that's kept us going is just passion and stubbornness. And, you know, it's a dream job. So, yeah. You're going to have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands, basically. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So people, are always like, people are always like, how are you still doing print? Uh, because we're stupid, <laughs> you know, like that's basically... <laughs> Make it work. Yeah, you know, we love it and we're stubborn and we love the lifestyle. So that's a very long answer to what speed, style, and sound is. But ironically, that's kind of coming back, you know, like cut to 2006, 7, 8, 9, speed, style, and sound was stupid. And it was already being called S3 mm-hmm. and people didn't even know what the speed, style, sound was. But now, like the speed, style, and sound is kind of almost getting retro cool. Like, yeah. You know, like big letters on the back of a hoodie. It looks very Japanese if you do it, you know. So I don't know. We've started playing with that again, but I don't know. Everything comes full circle, so... Yeah, the people who are into the JDM stuff are, are diehards, you know. Oh, yeah. There's still people out there, for yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So, I don't know. And now all that stuff, it's funny. The stuff that we were into is now becoming classic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, here I am, what, 15 years later, still running around in little Japanese cars and stuff like that. And now they're all, like, vintage. It's, it's crazy, so. Yeah, and the new Japanese stuff, in my opinion, just not as cool you know, no. I mean, it, the 90s were is, definitely the heyday of like, dang, I need to, this is funny because I've done podcasts before, but they're always in the automotive culture, you know what yeah. I mean? So like this one's different because it is, but I'm sure you're talking to people from other cool little niche cultures and stuff like that. For y'all that might not be super into cars and are kind of on the surface, I'll just break it down. Cliff notes, cars these days suck. Most of them are ugly. They're too big, they're too heavy, they're too fat. They got a bunch of crap that we don't want as enthusiasts. It's like technology went, instead of making cars ratter, it just made them like, took the driver out of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just kind of your co-pilot now. Like, you you stop the gas in a Hellcat or whatever the hell these new cars are, and, you know, it goes and it pats you on the back and tells you what a great driver you are. And, and that's all the technology. Like, turn that off and you go through mailboxes. Exactly. I know. <laughs> I've done that. If you're into automotive culture, you tend to have a love for like the purity of, you know, these 90s, 80s, 90s, maybe early 2000s type of cars where Japan, we were talking about Japan because they specifically had the formula down at that point. You know, they were yeah. proving themselves in the 80s, you know, and, and by the late 80s, early 90s, they really kind of took off with it. You had the cars like, you know, the Supras and the RX-7s and and all these Japanese icons. And then that led to the smaller cars that started the whole thing. You know, the Integras, the Eclipses, the all-wheel drive, the turbo, all this cool stuff that led 
to what everybody calls, oh, you're a Fast and Furious guy. But yeah, we were doing it before that. But yeah, so anyway, we, we kind of like those older, purer cars and probably will for the rest of my life. I mean, it's kind Absolutely. of, it's my generation's muscle car, you know? In a lot of ways, it's the same thing. It's just every 20 years or so, it repeats. And I hope it does again. I hope we don't lose for sure automotive there's, culture. There's but. not many examples out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Porsche GT3, maybe. Yeah, but, but everything who can afford it. Exactly. <laughs> like, but it's so unattainable yeah. that it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like, you can count on one hand, like, the amount of pure cars that are out there that are new. I mean, even, like, these Supra. Supra's a BMW. It's got an automatic, not a twin clutch paddle, an automatic transmission. Like, that's not a... Anyway, I'm getting off topic. But anyway, yeah, so, I, you know, our thing with us three is that we we just love driving. We love car culture. Cars represent freedom. They represent expression. There's a lot of really, really cool people that do it. It keeps you young, like a lot of these kind of niche, cool lifestyle things. You know, it, it it just keeps your mind active. It keeps you creative. You know what I mean? All these different things. It's kind of, it's just therapy for us. So anyway, yeah, that's hopefully not going anywhere. It's weird to look at the younger generation now because they don't, a lot of them don't seem to have that same, you know. No like, appreciation. Like for when it. I was a kid, you turned 16, you got your keys, you were free mm-hmm. like that was it that was like the ticket into you know like that whole life but these days it's different man yeah so. i've taught some like teen driving schools i do driving instruction yeah, yeah, yeah i've yeah. taught some like teen schools and most kids are just completely indifferent yeah, they're like, this. Uh, they're oh, like is it, is yeah it i like my kid my license <laughs> when i turn 18 or something yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, whatever teach their own i guess yeah and I definitely have appreciation for that same thing. Like, I've always looked at cars. I've always loved, like, a beautiful car, obviously. But coming from, like, a racing background, mm-hmm. I've always seen it as, like, a tool kind yeah. of. So, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. okay, yeah, I can't feel anything. Like, I don't want it. Yeah. You know? I mean, they're all the same. And again, I'm probably getting off topic for not an automotive podcast. But car manufacturers have, it's kind of, we got too good. You know what I mean? Like, we just got too smart, too good. They've conquered speed. So speed's not even, like, fun anymore. I mean, you know, it is fun, but you got a Tesla that does 0 to 60 in, what, two seconds or something like that. Like, I can't beat that. You know what I mean? But, like, there is something missing. And chassis have gotten so good that you don't feel them anymore. They're just machines. You know what I mean? And, like, and I've learned in the last, whatever, 10 years that speed isn't everything. It was always, like, speed was everything. And now it's, like... All right, we've conquered speed. It's the sensation like, of speed that you're that looking for. Fulfilled. Though, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you can find that in a million different ways. You can have slow cars that rev out loud and vibrate. And, you know, like that's it's the sensation of speed that, that is so addicting. And I think a lot of times people get in these newer cars and they're like, yeah, it's real fast. And, but you're, you're losing that connection, you know? Exactly. Um, so. Like I've got a old Acura NSX, which is just like. Do you still have the, that thing? I still do. Yes. Not for much longer, unfortunately. It's going to be a sad day. But yeah, doesn't go super fast, to be honest, but feels like you're in a rocket, sounds like you're in a rocket, Yeah, you know. Well, and there was a lot to that car. Honda was proving, you know, because it was always like, oh, yeah, Honda, Honda, come on. You know, like you you had all the Euro companies that were out there doing it, you know, in motorsports Mm -hmm. and everything. And Honda always, it's very, Honda was very punk rock back then because they were not taken seriously. They had to prove it, yet they kept doing more with less. You know, and the NSX was like the perfect example of that. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, and I think for its generation, you know, you're not gonna find. Uh, I, I think Porsche was behind the ball when it came to like 911 versus that that 
version mm-hmm. of the NSX. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So I did not know that story. I always thought you found in the magazine. Oh really? Because you're so <laughs> yeah. I remember you're so young when you guys were starting the whole thing. Yeah. So. I just assumed that you and your buddy started it. So. No, like, and it's funny because I've told that story so much that everybody I work with makes fun of me. So that's why I, I, I kind of tiptoed into it. But yes, it was very much my little Eminem, like, you only get one shot. Because yeah. <laughs> it was like, holy crap. Like, I, it was absolutely surreal that I got hired. Like, uh-huh. I mean, I was just a, a kid who liked cars a lot, you know, but like it was right around SEMA time, which is the big, you know, aftermarket, whatever, convention out in Vegas. It's it's absolutely Huge. enormous. It's the second biggest one that goes down aside from the electronics thing. And it's insane. And it's larger than life. And my dad worked in the automotive industry, so he was going. But you can't go if you don't work in the automotive industry. It's not open to the public. And so it was November, you know, when I found this job. And so I was calling the publisher trying to get an interview. He just turned in my resume, whatever you did. And he's like, listen, we're going out to the SEMA show. So I can't really, you know, if you don't hear from me, that's why. So it might be like three weeks or so before we kind of get back on the ground and everything. And so, you know, my mom worked for Delta. She's retired. My dad worked in the automotive industry. And he was like, you need to get out of here. You yeah. know, he's like, I, you just get on a plane and get out here. I'll get you a pass. So... That's what I did. I flew out there to bump into in a sea of a million people yeah. to bump into the the publisher of S3. And I did. I saw him afar, got up my courage, you know, and kind of bumped into him. And went, oh, I'm the guy that, what do you know? We're both here, you know. And yeah. he was like, all right, well, hey, I'm about to head to a meeting, but you're here. Write an article as if you're writing for a magazine about this show. It's your first year. Like, what what's it about? You know, and he's like, and then we'll talk when we get back. And so that kind of got me in. And then That's I was absolutely cool. like, how did this all line up? Yeah. You know, and then the six, final weeks, exam. six weeks later, man, <laughs> he calls me in on Friday and it was like one of those out of body experiences when he's like, so that's it. And I'm like, in my mind is like swirling. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, like yeah. I can't, I can't get this and then get it ripped away before I ever get a shot. And really when we bought the magazine, what we were buying was a, a foot in the door to the industry. I never thought that we would survive. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was it was so volatile, like the fir- well still is. But like this first year or two, I mean, we were going out of business every day. Yeah. Like every day was was, uh, you know, some sort of setback. Printing's expensive. But what we bought by buying the magazine was at least some advertisers. Mm-hmm. Like we bu- To start a magazine from scratch even then was a tremendous undertaking. Now is like really just crazy. But we had some advertisers. Advertisers is what makes a magazine work, not necessarily subscribers, although we want the subscribers to get the advertisers. A lot of times getting a subscriber is kind of a losing deal. I mean, yeah. if they pay you're, 20 bucks. Like right now you're for just 20, selling an audience. Yeah. yeah. Right now for 25 bucks, you get like a T-shirt and a two-year subscription, which is honestly going to be more than yeah. two years because it's more effort for me to track you down to try and get you to yeah. resubscribe than to just keep sending it. You know, a T-shirt costs, what, 10 bucks. Yeah, and then so we're 15 bucks but then we got to make a magazine for years and send it to you and print it and it's just we're obviously on the losing end of that deal but the theory is you get the advertisers you know the more people see it but yeah so cut to 2006 and you know we get a magazine but we're like immediately sinking you know like Mm -hmm. you got to get the first issue out you got to have the money to do it and my buddy Mike Sanders who was in all right so when I was in college at University Uh of Georgia we were all 
car guys. Like, you know, it, it kind of was like Fast and Furious. Like our yeah. apartment was like full of cars and car people and we would all meet up and then we'd go downtown or whatever and party and then, you know, everybody would leave the car. And so... Guys we are hanging out in parking decks with J-Pop going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's how we were known as like the freaking ricers or whatever. And so Mike Sanders was in high school. He kind of looked up to us, so to speak, because we had badass cars, you know, and, and he had just kind of gotten his. He had an Eclipse and I had an Eclipse. So I kind of knew him, you know, a little bit, snuck him in the bars and stuff, you know. And so we were kind of yeah. buddies. But he called me and was like, hey, I heard you bought a magazine. And he was in college at this point, so I was mm-hmm. done, you know, and he was in. I was like, yeah. Uh, and he was like, do you need an intern? I need, I'll be your intern, you know. I'll do and anything. I was like, I need somebody <laughs> to sell ads, like, right yeah. now, or else we're not going to get the first issue out. And he was like, okay. And he was like, 20? Yeah, because he turned 21 at SEMA, that big convention that year. Yeah. So he's 20, but he was always kind of seemed older than his age, and he was able to get in there and talk to, like, marketing execs from these companies and get them to commit to stuff, which is ridiculous and it was a different day and age back then like marketing execs were like tenured older guys Mm -hmm. a lot of experience better income you know when that when the economy crashed it kind of ran a lot of those guys out and replaced them with younger guys that were more less qualified honestly still like the madman era yeah and and so that that's where the big shift turns towards like digital because they were younger guys you know and so that was just more hurdles yeah somehow mike was able to get in there and talk to these guys and save our ass in 2006 and then 2006 as some of you guys might know drifting was really exploding Mm -hmm. so all the tire companies were in didn't matter really what your magazine was if it was in that demographic the youth you know aftermarket like the tire companies were in so they saved our ass Scion absolutely saved our ass. Scion, Toyota mm-hmm. is a really rad company and really good with like what's going on in the streets, so to speak. So like somebody, and again, I was 25 years old, didn't have a clue what was happening. Somebody called me and was like, hey, so I'm whatever, and I do this ad agency for Toyota. And I didn't yeah. understand anything he was really saying. It was all going over my head. And he was like, wait, you say Toyota? Yeah. He was like, but so I heard you guys bought the magazine and I was like, yeah. And I just, for some reason, it started just flowing and I was telling him kind of the whole same story. He's like, that's really cool, man. Congratulations. He's like, I just wanted to kind of, you know, he's like, I just heard it had been sold and just wanted to get like a, a feel for what's going on. I was like, okay, see you later, man. And then the next day there was a fax for an ad in the magazine, like a two page spread ad that was like more than we would have ever charged him if yeah. he'd had, you know what I mean? It was just like absolutely a gift from God. It was like, oh my God, we're going to survive, <laughs> you know? And so, I mean, like, hands down, like, we survived because of Toyota and some of those tire companies the first year. And then and then when the economy hit, it was like, well, I'm a good yeah. ride. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, I don't know, you're, how old are you now? Like, I'm 30 now. Okay, so, so you were probably a little was, bit, you were just going with the flow at that point. But I like, was, uh, it was the end of my motorcycle racing career. At the time, yeah, okay, sure. so, like, all yeah. this stuff, like, happened just bam, bam, bam. And it was like, oh, my God, we're screwed. Like, all of a sudden, like, the shit hit the fan. Gas you couldn't find, which is ironic because we're in that situation right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it went up to $4 a gallon. Everybody quit buying all the dumb, you know, yeah. gas-wasting mods and everything like that. And the entire aftermarket, like, froze. And it was yeah. like, now we're done. Hobbyists were not a thing. <laughs> it's like, but, now, yeah. now we're definitely done. But that's where we found our voice. You know, yeah. like the frustration at that point of having gotten that far 
and it was out of our control, the frustration made the magazine very real. Mm-hmm. We were also an independent magazine. A lot of people don't know this that aren't around magazines, but like all the magazines of that era, like 90% of them are owned by the same company. Mm-hmm. They're sold out, you know, they're corporate. They don't have the passion. They don't, you know, feel the intensity of trying to get the magazine done. They just have their job and they do it. So that made us very vocal and we found our voice. And at the same time, those big magazines got really screwed because they were fat and rich and happy. That was the old traditional media print ruled the world kind of a thing. And that was changing. And uh, so they got hurt worse than us. And all we knew was being broke. So it was business as usual for us. (laughs) And somehow... Somehow, I don't know how, you know, we just fought through it. We fought through every problem one at a time and we just wouldn't give up. We had other jobs, whatever it took to get this this thing done and then kind of made it through the other side. So when did it, would you say it started to, you know, take back off again? You felt a little more, a little more at ease. By 2000, you know, 10, 11, 12, we really kind of had a, a, a grassroots kind of surge going. Mm-hmm. We started this company. It was kind of an accident called Stillhood. And still it kind of came around from we were sitting in a car, you know, that's kind of half overheating, no air conditioning. We're sweating our ass off in yep. traffic, <laughs> but we're in my Eclipse, you know, big wings, carbon fiber fenders, Smurf blue wheels, you know, blowing flames out of the exhaust. And, and you know, I looked at, at my buddy who was working with us at the time and he was like, at least we're not like them, though. you know, like to all the other people in traffic. Like, at least I'm not in a damn tan Camry. No offense if you guys have a tan Camry, but like. You know, that was like our thing. We're like, at least we're still, we're still yeah, hood, man. Still doing and it. He was like, I need that sticker on my desk. And so we had a big sticker made and we put it across his desk. And then somebody else was like, I want that sticker. And so it was like a sticker branded company. It started with that. We started doing shirts and then we'd take the shirt, you know, like to events and stuff. And so next thing you know, we had this whole thing. We were making shift knobs and they're actually doing really well. We, we, if you guys yeah, remember. That was the first thing I remembered. Yeah, the, the Dave knobs. Chappelle era. So we yeah. made a shift knob. It said one, two, three, four, if across the top, F-I-F. And it said still hit up the side and people love that stuff. And so that was all in those early 2000 teens or whatever you call that. And so, yeah, I don't know, man. We just carried the momentum. Like we had momentum. Yeah. We didn't necessarily have money, but, you know, like advertising is always and still is difficult because we're not the biggest by any means. And especially in this day and age, it's all about the biggest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's your numbers? You know, like how many views did you get on that? You know, and it's like, so that's what we're fighting now is it's like, dude, I mean, numbers are great. I'm not hating on people that have numbers, but like there's different ways to connect with people. You know what I mean? Like it's, sure. it, it, it's not always about Justin Bieber doesn't change music. He's got a lot of numbers, you know what I mean? But, like, is he really speaking to people? You know, like, is he really connecting to people? Not saying I do, but, like, that's what I try to do. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and print is kind of like music in a lot of ways to me, and I love music. But, like, it's kind of, it's almost essentially like having, you know, headphones on or whatever. Like, you're blocking out the world. There's no freaking comments of negativity. And you know what I mean? Like you yeah. go, because you go online and you're like, I kind of like that. And then everybody's like, why do you like that? You're so dumb for like, no, well, I, like that I really that. like it. <laughs> I do it like this. And you're just like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Screw that. You know, like print is kind of like, all right, I'm going to block out the world. Uh, it's going to be me in this. And I'm going to formulate my own thoughts. It's going to hit mm-hmm. me in a certain way or not or whatever. But you know what I mean? It's very like your attention is there. So to me, it's like, I don't, at this point, I don't give a rat's ass if like a thousand people are into it. 
or a million people are into it. Like, you know, if those thousand people are like, yo, yeah. I read the thing and you kind of like changed my perspective and I didn't see it, then, then it's all worth it to me. It's harder to convince advertisers of that, you know, because yeah. they're like, well, Ken Block got 112 million views, though. And you're like, well, yeah, he did. You know? Like, so, yeah, I don't know. You know, Prince, whatever. It's It's been a constant struggle, but I'm sure that's the way it is, running a small business for anybody, right? Like, you're always battling something. At first, we were battling it's the big magazines. And then the big magazines go away, and we're like, yo, we're like top three because there's only like three. And then it's like, oh, yeah, but there's the Internet. Oh, damn it. You know, so. And at this point, media is free. You know, we're yeah. charging 25 bucks for a subscription or whatever, depending on whether you get hats or shirts or whatever. But like, you know, we can't do it for free. It's no. it's a real product. Like it goes through the real mail and it gets really printed. And so you're competing with. There's something to having media. something in your hand, though. Like, I think actually so. Reading and I don't like, a magazine or think, a book. I'm not. Trying to shit on YouTubers or or whatever people that are doing podcasts or videos or whatever it is like actually one of my my like biggest inspirations Nads John Nadiri he um he was the editor of Super Street Magazine when I was he's like a whatever you know maybe I say a generation older than me but it's not but it's just like when I was in high school and really getting mm-hmm. obsessed. He was the editor of the biggest magazine in our whole thing. So, and he had said something. We're kind of like buddies now, which is mm-hmm. awesome in its own right. Like, I yeah. saw him at an event. And he's like, you do S3. And I was like, holy crap, how do you even know about it? He goes, dude, I love it. And, and so that was like a moment. But he had said something once. He was like, dude, people say support print. Like, fuck that. Like, support cool media. If it's yeah. printed, it's printed. And that doesn't make it any older or less valuable or dumber than the guy doing it on YouTube or the guy doing it on television or the guy doing it on podcasts. He's like, just cool media is cool media. And and stop putting it in a freaking box. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so I don't know. Whatever. That's kind of the way it is now. But yeah, we. I mean, print definitely gets put in that box. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a, oh, yeah, we don't do print these oh, days. Yeah. So. That old relic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's almost so old, it's like cool again, you know? Because yeah. now it's weird. It's like retro. I'm seeing yeah. the young guys. When I say young, I mean like, let's say 25 and younger or whatever, think it's rad. And support the shit out of it, yeah. you know, just because it's they didn't grow up with it. It's, it's hard. their new vinyl. Yeah, it's it's like a new <laughs> thing to them. But they're like, dude, this is so awesome, you know. And it takes more. It takes photographers and designers, and a lot of people have their hands on it, and writers and stuff. So you know, it's kind of been massaged a little bit by the time it actually comes out. So anyway, sorry. No, right. that's, that's great. <laughs> I ran awesome. Up. So that's awesome. You're able to kind of meet your heroes and you know become buddies with them. That's. That's really a success in itself. That's when you really know that you made it, right? <laughs> I don't know about made it. But <laughs> it was definitely one of those moments that was like kind of surreal. You know, because you look at those guys like, oh, man, I can't. I can't go talk to that guy. That's going to yeah. be weird. You know, like, and then and then he turned around. And was like, ah, it's Wally. You know, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. That was like the highlight. I think it was. I don't know. Again, if you guys aren't in car culture, it was either a Formula Drift event or a Grid Life event or some big event, you know, and it was like the highlight of the whole stinking thing. It was awesome. It's like um, that unattainable girl in high school that says hey to you. Yeah, you I wouldn't know. You existed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was wild for sure. But it kind of, you know, it kind of just whatever, it motivates you, you know, to see that somebody like that is, is kind of paying attention or yeah. at least half paying attention, at least knows that you're out there, you know, it's super cool. And I've always loved your editorials. Like, that's the best part of the magazine. <laughs> you're right, right on the first page. Like, yeah. Reading Wooly's editorial. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's always the hardest thing because you can write about 
anything. You know, like when you're faced with like, okay, this guy's got an S2000, I kind of know what I'm writing about, you know, but um, with an editorial, it can be like whatever the hell's going on in your life. And honestly, a lot of times that does come out in the magazine, like in each, not to like give away whatever, my whole little thing, but like I try and talk to people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, come on, if you're, you get to a point, whether you're into cars or whatever it is, where it's like, yeah, but I don't care about the cars, there's more to it beneath yeah. the surface. Like, I, I don't give a shit what you drive. I, you know, people I, people go to, I don't go to car events for car. You cannot the culture. impress me with a car, you know, anymore. Yeah. Like, I just don't, I'm too jaded for that. Like, what I like is character, you yeah. know, and I see that in cars a lot of time. But it's really the owner's character coming out through the cars. So a lot of times when we write articles in the magazine, it's people that, aren't necessarily car obsessed that read the magazine and just know me through other things or whatever. They're like, yo, like that was really cool. That like wasn't even about like cars. Like I could take that, you know, like no matter what I'm into, I'm like, that's kind of what we're going for. But I mean, we try and talk to our readers. We try and inspire our readers. A lot of times the world is telling them to stop. You know, I think that's whether you're into surfing or cars or snowboarding or whatever the heck it is at some point, you know, you've like, got the outside up. world. It's like, yeah, that's cool and all, but when are you going to, like, grow up yeah. and, like, get serious and be sensible? And so, like, a magazine is very much like, okay, so we're, the other, we're in the other ear. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, saying, like, yeah, you can do both. You know, this stuff makes you better in a lot of ways. It It's just good for your brain. It makes you more focused. It makes you more disciplined. You learn to see things through. Like, you know, what's mature about going well, I'm just going to quit everything, you know, yeah. like, and, and just whatever, succumb to all the peer pressure and just be an adult. Like, that's yeah. not maturity. That's just scared or something. I don't know. And that's always been, like, the theme, right? It's, like, every every editorial I've ever read of yours, like, the ultimate theme is don't sell out. Like, mm-hmm. don't lose yourself. Yeah. And a lot of times. To, like, appease other people's thoughts, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times, like, it's not because I've got it figured out. It's because I'm talking to myself (laughs) when I'm writing, trying to, like, keep myself in it or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we were in a weird situation. We were in, like, our mid-20s when we got a magazine, and we're talking to people our same age. And that was weird to Mm -hmm. be, you know, running a magazine as the young guy. You didn't really get taken seriously by a lot of people that were older than you. But the people that were your age or younger really did, uh, and they connected with it. So we became, and I was a psychology major in college. So a lot of that coming, I was going to ask you that. Like, yeah. Were you in magazine journalism? It's because I was, it's not that I was failing out of college, but I wasn't excelling. And I was trying to pick majors that I thought were going to be relevant in the future. And a lot of it had to do with computers, and I'm not a computer guy. And I wasn't enjoying it, and I took a cognitive psychology class and it just blew my mind and it changed my whole major like I you know talked to the professor he was like look come to my office and so I went to his office and he was like listen just get your fucking degree and get on with your life and I was like can you say that and he goes it doesn't matter he said if you (laughs) like he said look I've seen guys like you my whole career like you're trying to make it mean something he's like if you like psychology He's like, I'll get you, I'll, I'll help you plan the classes. Like, he's like, the important thing is that you like it so that you graduate, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so that you excel in this. Yeah. He's like, you're going to go on, you're going to do whatever the heck you're going to do. And, and your degree's probably not going to have much to do with it. And I was like, fair enough. Um, 
But yeah, I did really enjoy the classes and it does kind of come out in, in the magazine a lot because what I realized being, you know, in my mid twenties and then late twenties or, and whatever, and talking to people my age was that they were going through that stuff. You know what I mean? Like there's definitely a thing happening when you're around that age where the world is pulling you to go, whatever the rat race way. And then you're pulling yourself. And I think it happens a lot in car culture. That's why people end up in these kind of cool little, you know, cultures or whatever. Yeah. You know, you're pulling yourself to like, man, but I, like my passion's here, and then this, and so we became the voice to try and say, hey, listen, you, you know, yeah, like you don't, you can, you can do both, but if you're gonna fail, fail young, yeah. like it's not gonna get easier, like you know, like whatever, you know, like because at the time I was like, we got a magazine and we might go out of business and there might not be another issue. Hopefully not, because hopefully it's in our personality to fight for it, you yeah. know, and, and figure out a way. But even if it gets ripped out from under us, like, you know, like we're so committed at this point that yeah. it's just we're so deep in that we'll find something else or whatever. And I think when you're in your mid-20s, like, let's just say the guy that graduated college and is kind of in that thing where he's not in a career yet, but on the fringes. And it's like you really at that point got to hold on to who you are and figure it out or else the world will figure it out for you. And like I said, you can fail and you can rebound and it's going to be fine. It gets harder and harder as you get older. You know, like you you do end up getting that job and then you do end up getting a car that costs more per month. And then you do end up buying your first house and then you are married to a mortgage and then you're married and then you have a kid, you know, and, and it gets harder and harder to be like to do it. You get married to your income, whatever that yep. is, your career or whatever. And and so we're always telling people is like, don't do that for as long as possible. You know what yeah. I mean? Or do it, but still remember like who that you've got. It's just good for your world and the soul for you to be who you are, not something that's generating money for the thing to, yeah. you know what I mean? Like just not no. part of that rat race. Like you're here for a reason. Like the follow that's forced upon you yes dude yeah. like if you want to go to hawaii and do bikes like you're going to change somebody's life that does that bike tour and then they're going to go and take that back and change somebody else's life so like you got to be who you're supposed to be there's a reason that that little voice is in your head telling you. and exactly. so that's what we're always trying to preach and it might be through a honda s2000 or whatever in some weird twisted way but that's what i kind of learned as then i got older you know in your 30s is that you got to do you got to do that wherever you are however you are whether it's you know whatever obviously i'm into reggae but like whether you're doing it through song or whether you're doing it because you're a preacher or whether you're doing it through a magazine or a podcast or you know whatever like you got to kind of be you in that way in however you reach people if that makes any sense. So makes even, total sense. Even though we're a car magazine, we just try and be like a unifying thing for car culture, you know, so that they can kind of just whatever, take that out and do what they do with it in the rest of the world. So you just said a unifying force in car culture. So that's what I'm kind of seeing more recently out of the magazine. Like yeah. it seemed like to start with you're like hardcore JDM, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. tuner cars. Yeah. But you're passionate about Porsches and off-roading yeah. and all this stuff. Would you say that's like a development of like your personality coming out in the magazine or just like the tuner scene's not as big anymore and I mean, needed to kind of like venture into the rest of... There's a, a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of things going on. Like the tuner scene has really turned into a generation. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I was talking about at the beginning is that the, the young kids now, they're not in it. Okay, so let's whatever, you know, to each their own. But we still are. 
But as we've grown, you just brought, I mean, you know what I mean? Like you get interested in other, I came from Porsche stuff. My dad was heavy into Porsches from the time I was an infant. You know, he has an 82 911 today that he bought in 83, still has it. You know, he raced an old Porsche in the 80s. So like while kids were playing t-ball, I was, you know, either kind of skateboarding around while he was working on cars or else I go to all the races on the weekends. And just to be clear, people that aren't in a car, it's not like NASCAR stuff. It was like sports car racing, kind of, you know, lots of road European stuff right. and, and road course stuff. And these guys were badasses, man. Like this was the 80s. Porsche guys were still freaking cool. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't so skyrocketed expensive. Like my dad worked at J.C. Penney's. He wasn't necessarily a rich man. But he was able to buy, you know, yeah. his dream car at the time. That's possible, yeah. Cut to today, I own a national magazine. There ain't no way in hell I'm buying a new 911. Like, no. it's just, you know, this, the prices are, are definitely skewed in different directions now. But and you could work on them then. You could work on them. Porsche guys were cool. I grew up in Florida, so it was very, like, Magnum. Like, the Hawaiian yeah. shirts and Porsches and just, you know, like, they were cool guys. They were loud. They were rowdy. Now they're on social media taking pictures of their damn watch on their Porsche steering wheel and it's lame and I'm not with that. That is actually a a problem that I have, like that I struggle with is cars are essentially materialistic. Like and I, yeah. and and so as I as I got older, it started to really bug me. Like, what am I doing? I mean it's kind of a money flex in a lot of ways, you know, especially with the newer stuff. And and so that became a big struggle. It wasn't about like whether we were going to do imports or whether that was dying and we should broaden. It was just kind of like, man, I'm struggling because, you know, on one hand, what I do is pretty superficial and and I don't like that aspect of it, yet I love it. And it's really not that superficial. It is on the surface. It is to outsiders, but the people who get it, get it. Like yep. there is a bond, you know, that that's kind of shared in a mentality in this stuff. So I don't know. I, and that's kind of where the magazine's gone. It's real. I say it's a generational thing because a lot of our readers have grown with us. You know what I mean? So like we're all 20 something hoodlums and street racers. And now we're, you know, in 30s or even beyond. And and people are doing track events or people are, you know, like in my case, like, I, you know, I had a little girl and I was like, hmm, four door Jeep's a family car. Kind of want one. Yeah. And I put it off for a while. And then, you know, my buddy was like, just get one. And so I got a, you know, a base four door Jeep and started throwing parts on it and ruined it and sank it, you know, and, and but it's, it's great. And so it branched open a whole outdoor adventure side of car culture, whereas yeah. everything before was like kind of fragile side, like let's not beat this up too bad. And then, you know, you take that and you start putting it in the little cars and be like, screw it, let's beat it up. You know, yeah. like it doesn't have to be flawless. I'm past that. Again, you're not going to impress me with a clean car. Like nature will tear it down. So Go with it, you know, exactly. and, and enjoy it. And so, I don't know, you know, and then I, as I got older, I got back to the, the Porsche roots because of everything I just explained became nostalgic and like I missed it and it was mm-hmm. cool. And it was like, man, because I go through a lot of that now, man, back then, back way back when, yeah. you know, and the cars were simpler and the people were cooler and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so you try and get in touch with that. That's how I got the old 911. And luckily I did. I picked up a 79 SC before the bubble, like those cars got hip oh, and valuable. All, all the or, all <laughs> Dude, Porsches I got it. are just so yeah. I mean, I, I was able to get it for 8500 bucks. I sold the Eclipse I was talking about earlier so and an old Rabbit GTI I had. And then, you know, maybe put $1,000 in and got the 911 and it was like, cool. 
And then all of a sudden, there's yeah. a couple big social media influencers or whatever, and those things like triple, quadruple in price. It's like, okay. Well, well I think yours is probably one of one. I don't think anyone's <laughs> got that color. I mean, it, it is. <laughs> y'all, it is called Tobacco Metallic. It is total, like, 70s, early 80s vibes. You know, it's, it's this brown color. It's awesome. It's not perfect by any means, but that's okay. Like, even, you know, I could use my friends and resources in the magazine and make it perfect, but then you don't enjoy it. You but know? it's unique now. What mm-hmm. makes it unique? You got to tell them that part. Well, that, well what do you mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things. First of all, the wheels that are on my 911 are the exact same wheels I grew up on. The Not the same type, the same set. I went in my parents' basement and stole no the wheels. Way. Yeah, dude. Like, I don't know if you guys know, but Porsches in the 80s, they have that little shark fin black thing in front of the back wheel. Yep. Like... I was probably, we were still in Jacksonville. I had to be 10. Uh-huh. And I was playing with my little bike or something in the garage. And my dad ordered a set for his 911 that he still has. I was holding them up. And he was like, should I put these, should I put these on my car? And I've been a ricer since day one. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I don't know. And he stuck them in his toolbox. And they sat for like 25 years. <laughs> and then I got them out and put them on this car. So there's a lot of history like that. Um, Where did you, know, you get that ducktail The from? little ducktail, yeah. And so the car's brown. The ducktail's orange. And it's obviously been painted at least three times. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's beat up and it's chipped. But, like, I got it off some guy from the Porsche Club, you know. And, yeah. and it was on a race car. And, you know, everybody's like, you need to paint that. And I'm like, nah, I don't. It's got... Got some 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 character here, like you know, I like it. I like I the fact cool. that you have a quote vintage sports car that's sought after, but you treat it kind of like a project car. Like, I mean, the yeah. steering wheel is cracked all on the top, and I was like, oh, you get a steering? Wheel. No, wait, no, I don't. This is yeah. awesome. Like, you can't buy this. This is patina. This is age. You know, my particular car came from Germany. Like in the eighties, a lot of the military guys were importing German cars to the mm-hmm. U.S. because they could put them on the planes or. Shit, I don't know how they did it, ships. But he was a fighter pilot. And and so now he's in his 80s. But then he was in the military. He had been a fighter pilot. One of his friends brought the car in in like 85 or something. And he bought it. And so I was, you know, pulling up carpet, working on stuff. I found a German coin from the 40s. You know, like all of the service records from like the first oil change is all in German. And it's all like been saved in the car and everything. I'm like, this is cool. That like is cool. you don't necessarily restore that you know like now everybody wants to cut the cars up and put 12 inch wide wheels on the back of it and i'm like yo it's got like 200 horsepower a little bit of an overkill yeah, yeah. it'd basically be a boat anchor but like you know i was like i don't want it. yeah i just want to enjoy the car like you know if you make it too i've learned this you make it too nice and then you don't drive it. You know what I mean? Like if it's got some chips and stuff, you're like, oh, screw it. I'm yeah. not counting the rock chips anymore. So that's it. If you ever want to do anything to the max, you yep. got to get those first scratches. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just terrified. That... Snowboard, you know, no matter what it is. <laughs> yep. If that you're was my Jeep. to scratch it, you're, you're not doing it right. I bought the Jeep and again, I bought a base base, the cheapest one I could find. So it had like the mail truck tires on it. Pretty much drove it home, and then this next trip was straight up to the mountains where we kind of sunk it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, well, we ripped that Band-Aid off, you know, like, but that's why I got it, you know? So, like, I wasn't going to hold back on it. Like, I got it for one reason, just to kind of open me up to that whole thing. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I that's just kind of how I am with cars, though. I see kind of the story and the character. It's weird, dude. Like, I don't know. I'm getting off subject, but, like, I feel history through cars. 
If I sit in a car from the 80s, I am instantly in the 80s. There is something about some people look at art or whatever, you know, like read a history. That's cool. The car is like art that you can drive. Yeah, it's functional like, art. It's, it's like a time machine. It's like it comes to life when you're driving these things down the road. If it's from the 30s and, you know, you're driving some whatever down the road and the sun's coming through the window and shining off of the chrome on the deck, like that's the same thing that some dude saw in the 30s when he bought his first car and had all these dreams right before a war happened or something like that. And it's like, oh, wow, man. Like, that's the kind of stuff I start feeling and thinking about. Like, who owned this car? Like, who was it? What were their dreams? What were they going to go do? You put me in a car from the 80s and I'm like, Def Leppard. Like, immediately, like, you know, you feel the 80s, like, kind of plastic dash and the angles and you're like, I am in that time machine. I'm in it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you get in the 911 and you see the little round headlights and there's like a vibe. You are driving history you know what i mean that's just kind of how i see cars that's why i have so many cheaper project cars because i just i get so overwhelmed kind of just like i have to have it it's not like i want it it's like i have to i don't know it's just kind of if i watch a movie and it takes place in the 50s i'm like i need like 50s hot rod like it's just kind of what my brain does it's just kind of i don't know it's how i get it out so to speak and not just cars like i love anything like that anything that you just feel like it transports you like yeah yeah. Like, I have uh, never been a hunter before, but my dad's always had this World War I 30-06. Oh, yeah? That's what he's always hunted with, and I decided I was going to go bad. hunting this year. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to take that thing down with the 1917 30-06, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. the second I pulled the trigger, I'm like, how many Turks and Germans did this thing take mm-hmm. down? Back yeah, you day? start you wondering, like, <laughs> yeah. what's behind what you've got in your hand. Yeah, and the fact that with a car... You know, I mean, we can take it from here to the Pacific Coast Highway. That's yeah. awesome to me. Like, that, it's just, I don't know, to be able to be in touch with that kind of thing. And then, like we were saying at the beginning, you take the fact that a lot of the soul and life has been taken out of the newer cars, so it even means that much more now. Like, I have a, a first-generation Pathfinder, so like a 90s, the earlier 90s, boxy little 4x4, four 5-speed. Four, it's cool the back window pops up you know like it's lifted i got volk wheels if you guys are in a car but like there's immediate vibes there of just the simplicity and you know and all of a sudden you're feeling that era and everything and you don't get that new cars everything's too distracting and diluted and they're just rolling cell phone chargers that's what they are yeah i mean (laughs) it's phenomenal some of them but yeah yeah. i know but yeah they they keep taking people like my old 911 if I go into a 35-mile-an-hour corner at 85 miles an hour, the car is like, so we're going to do this, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, whereas a new 911 will go through a series of people, and you'll yeah. get through it, and it'll be like, wow, you're a great driver. You know, yeah. it's just like, nah, it's not, I don't know, it's not It's not for me. But That's funny. But then again, you know, if I could afford it, it might be for me. <laughs> like, maybe I'm just dismissing it. It's irrelevant at this point. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I, I went off topic again. I don't even remember what the heck we were Oh, you're good. We're just talking about cars. Supposed to be talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I do love the new technology. It is pretty amazing what you can do. Like, like I'm all about going fast. Like, as fast as possible. Yeah. And they definitely do that. Yeah. But I hate it that it's getting, like, further and further away. Like, I instructed the Porsche Experience Center. Yeah. And just even in the past, like, couple generations, they still have more fill than, like, 95% of the cars out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just even in the past couple generations, they're just losing more and more feel. Like, that's what Porsche's always been about. 
you know, they're a driver's car. You, mm-hmm. We want you to fill the road. Yeah. But everyone gets a little bit further. Yeah. Well, and I was right. And that's why that. they have the GT cars, I guess. They're so unobtainable, but when you drive mm-hmm. one, you can still feel what's going on. So. Yeah. I mean, I was writing about that recently. I was like, dude, the problem is we can all bitch about it and we all like get whatever nostalgic about the old stuff, you know? Because, I mean, let's be honest, it was romantic back then. There was like a romance in those 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, like the Japanese 90s where they were really doing their thing. Like, there was a definite badassery in that stuff that we look back and go, oh man, like that's cool, you know? Like, but you can't stop progression. Like, what no. is Porsche going to do? Make a 200 oh, horsepower? Not, you know, you yeah. can't unlearn what you've learned. You can't, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you got to keep going forward as a car company. And I'm not um, saying I don't like 750 horsepower electric cars or yeah. 640 horsepower, yeah. you know, well, see, that's cars, the thing but... I don't, I mean, I don't, not to get political or two, I don't care. I don't like what the vibe in the air right now with the electric thing. I like electric cars. I think Elon Musk is awesome. I think yeah. that I respect that he came to market with an electric car because he's like, I think this is cool. And I think there's performance and value here. And I think it's cutting edge. And I'm going to prove it through competition. You know, yeah. I'm going to let you guys decide. Like, I don't think there's any, just because I love internal combustion engines does not mean that I can't like electric. I think that I can have my 79911 and my CRX and my Tesla, which I don't have, but like a Tesla in the same garage, you know? I think as a car guy, they're all cool, you know? And a Tesla's very significant. What I don't like right now is the kind of weight of, uh, what the hell, there's a government cloud coming down over this, and I feel like there is all of a sudden, we're gonna, like GM, we're gonna be fully electric. They make these big claims that they have no real potential to reach unless they go to the government and say, hey, Hey, we made this big claim. So in order to make it happen, I need you to give me money so that we can make this happen so that then we can force the electric cars on people Mm -hmm. because it's all we're making. So we'll just make them buy it. Not because it's the best, but because they don't have a choice and we're going to make them buy it through legislation. And that's where I'm like, no, middle finger time. You know what I mean? And I'm trying not to get to that point because... Not to be a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, but but like... Do you think the gas shortage could be like a uh, secret... Who the hell knows? (laughs) Nothing surprising. Government ploy to get you thinking about starting to buy an electric car. (laughs) It could be. uh, be, But there's no gas. Create the fear, yeah. Uh, I I don't know. You know, I talked to somebody much smarter than me that has worked for Honda and now works for BF Goodrich and at BF Goodrich are developing sensors that are just like we have tire pressure sensors now. Well, imagine a tire pressure sensor, but instead of measuring just the tire pressure, it measures like 500 things and it's talking to a satellite and it gets to be a point where it's like, okay, that's too much. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like I don't want my debit card to be debited if I speed, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't want it to get to that point. I don't know. Hopefully, you know, in our lifetime, I just, I think that each Technology, whether it's internal combustion or electric, or electric, if they are competing for your purchase, they each get better and better. And yeah. that is the route. You do not kill internal combustion and go electric because then, oh my God, in 20 years you find out you made a horrible mistake to the ozone layer or something. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, sure it has its own set of problems. Yes, like technology in general has already made internal combustion much, much, much better and emissions and all these kind of things. And then you add electric and now they're 
getting even more pioneering and you know in turbocharge it used to be you know back in my day turbochargers were just really badass and you went fast and now like every suv's got them like yeah, every it's little about gas it's about efficiency now, yeah. well that's fine they're getting engines better and better and better that's what they need to compete for your business to make each one better and make yeah. the best one ultimately win just don't force it you know what i mean like that's that's a mistake and we don't want to go that route and i'm seeing a lot of like the euro companies that because in europe i mean it's a different landscape in europe mm-hmm. it's laid out differently electric does make a lot of sense in a lot of situations but, but they're doing the same thing there they're making it where like zero emission cities like uh-huh. oh you want to be able to get around yeah your own way in our city well, yeah then this is gonna be to electric. Yeah. yeah i know and they're forcing it on you know volkswagen audi group which is you know huge and, and includes porsche and, and all these guys so they're all having to like work under those what's the word restraints coming maybe that's not the right word but anyway so now it's coming down the pipeline and yeah. now yeah you are seeing you know yeah, sure that was that, a major don't quote me but i think <laughs> it was a major portion of the the diesel gate deal oh could be, could be, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, punishment. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Amnesty yeah. for future. Yeah, uh, that is. I mean, cars. you know, like that Porsche Taycan or however you. I mean, it's fast as a missile. Dude. Oh, that's ridiculous. And I'm sure it's freaking awesome. But you know, I'm sure there's also people at Porsche pulling their hair out because they are getting forced in a direction, you know, to to appease certain things. So I don't know. There's I, no doubt they're that, cool. Where but. where I get cowboyish is I'm like. All right, I'll be an absolute outlaw if they try and take my internal combustion away. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be a little old man in my stripped-down motor-swap CRX ripping VTEC, you know, like 10,000 RPMs for the rest of my life. And I don't want everybody else... I don't want us to have to basically cater to the lowest common denominator, which is the distracted driver that's no longer paying attention and doesn't even want to drive. Fine. Do your thing. You know what I mean? Like, but I don't want that to get to a point where I cannot drive my cars because I have become the danger for paying yeah. attention and they have become the norm for not paying attention. That's not the way it should go. Hopefully in our lifetime, at least me living out in the country, I'm not going to have to deal with too much of that. and I'll be left to my own devices. But you never know, man. You never know when they're going to be like, each one of those cars has a $5,000 yeah. tax per year. and. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Or taking your guns and your gas engines. Yes. <laughs> That's when I'm going to become a cowboy. Yeah. So, I don't know. Just kind of bringing it back around to to the, the magazine and, uh, you know, how someone would move forward with that dream if that's that's their dream well, what, what would you say to them Do, don't pick a different dream yeah start a youtube channel yeah i don't know i like just to go broader and we kind of already touched on it like if you're if you're younger you know and 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 you have a dream no matter what it is you've got to like relentlessly pursue that your parents love you They're not always going to give you the best advice. They're going to give you the safe advice because they want you to be safe. You know what I mean? But is that that may not be the best thing for you necessarily. You might need to make yourself uncomfortable, make yourself a little bit hungry. So I would say, you know, if it's print, think twice because it would just be ridiculously hard to start a print magazine. I'm not saying don't do it. And there is definitely a kind of a movement back to the independent smaller print. You know, when... When the big conglomerates, see the big conglomerate magazine companies also owns the newsstand distribution. So it all kind of went away and that really left an opening for like the good independent magazines. And you're seeing magazines are getting nicer, the ones that are still left and and they're truly passionate again. It used to be like a magazine would say stuff and you might disagree and you might agree, but you know that they were saying it 
from a place of giving a shit, you know? And then the magazines got just kind of like, well, I'm going to say whatever the advertiser pays me to say, or, you know, and, and they lost their voice. So the voice is coming back for sure. But yeah, I would just say, dude, if, if you're younger, fight for it. I valeted cars for years and years and years just to have pocket money to supplement the magazine. And so fight for it. Make it an absolute kind of muscle memory routine because you'll carry that throughout the rest of your life. If you just go, oh, well, you know, I got to get this job and then, well, I have to keep this job because now I got rent or whatever, like you're slipping. I don't know. Maybe that's, again, I don't want to criticize, but I would try and make it into a habit while you're younger because it's something that you will carry throughout your life. It's just a, a, a way you attack things is, becomes different. You know, you just have more courage and balls if you kind of chase it when you're younger. When you develop those patterns, like, dude, it gets to, like, when I got into my 30s, yeah, maybe later, it, tur- it turns around. Like, at first, at first, like, your college friends or whatever you want to call them, like, your, you know, your younger friends are like, what are you doing? Like, when are you going to grow up? Like, yeah, oh, like it, you're in your 20s. And, you got to... Like, I'm 41 now, and now it turns into, fuck, man, you did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you get... And, the, dude, I'm not a wealthy man. I do not have it all figured out. But that aspect, the happiness, like, and fulfillment from a job kind of aspect, absolutely. Like, and that becomes very, very valuable as you get older. So, yeah, I would say fight for it as a kid. You know, as it set the set the pace, set the trends, set the habits, and then it'll carry you through life. And then eventually, yeah, you earn it. And then you're like, yeah. time for dreads. We did. It. <laughs> yeah, time you know? for dreads. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, and I think even if you're older, you almost know even more because then, then you can relate to what I'm talking about. And you're like, yeah, screw this. Yeah, you know, so absolutely. like it's never like it's too late. You've just got to realize that what you want to do does matter you know, whatever, mainland type of American culture doesn't really think like that all the time. I guess a lot of cultures don't think like that, but it does matter, man. You just got to figure it out. Oh, absolutely. I'm not successful by any means, (laughs) but I have people, older people all the time. I think some of my friend's parents for a long time were like kind of really judgy about, Mm -hmm. you know, like, what are you doing? And then now, like 30 years old, and every time I see them, they're like, well, you just keep doing what you're doing. Yes. You're obviously what? a lot happy. Most of these guys who are out here working corporate jobs or... It reminds me, maybe you've heard of this, because I, I think it, it's pretty common, but there was a nurse who worked in hospice, like where people were dying, like at, at the end of their rope. And she started asking these people, you can look this up, like it's a book or something, I don't know. She started asking these people, you know, basically what their regrets are in mm-hmm. life and their achievements and stuff like that. And she's like, it always came down to the same two things. And I'm trying to think on the spot. One of them was love more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just just yeah. love more, period. People, things, all that kind of a stuff. And the other was don't give it what people think. And that sounds like such a youthful, like, punk rock attitude. But these are like elderly people. And yeah. at the end of their rope, they're saying, I cared too much about what people thought about how I seemed in society or how I presented myself or how much, you know, money I had or how much money it looked like I had or all this kind of stuff. Like when you get to the end, that shit doesn't matter, dude. Like it's just the experiences. That's it. So. And I I think on the older side, it comes from like seeing the end in sight mm -hmm. and just being like, yes, you know, they've been telling me this whole time it ends, but like, you're <laughs> in a reality. Dude, I can tell like, you at 40. Yeah. Shit what starts going matters? fast, dude. Like life gets, it starts slow, like a train and it starts going faster and faster and faster and faster. And dude, 
you will get caught in a routine that will be the better part of your life. You know what I mean? Like you're getting up and going to work and doing something you really don't like to, but doing it because you got to make ends meet and you got to get your kid through daycare and you got to do this and that. I get it. Like I totally yeah. get it. You're not making excuses, but at the end, you're going to wish that you had spent more time with that kid, not necessarily provided the daycare. And you know what I mean? Like equally as important as that you were there. And I feel like in that aspect, you got to kind of chase your dreams. Like, I feel like I do have that kind of, I don't have any regrets in that department. Like, I do feel like I'm definitely living the life that I want to live. I, I have a high school buddy that's kind of got the same spirit or whatever. And, and we were talking and he was like, yo, though, I would absolutely rather drive your 25 year old Pathfinder to the mountain bike park every day than yeah. sit in then traffic drive. in a BMW or whatever it is. He's like, it is, there's just no question. You know, yeah. I was like, I think most people would agree. They just end up in the BMW in traffic without realizing death by death by a thousand cuts, you know, and pretty soon you're stuck in it. So that's it. You know, you're saying you become married to your income. That's the thing. It's like, uh, well, I make this much a month and I can take this many payments. And yeah. then, yeah, there's you know, a lot of guys making easy six figures out there, but they have to. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You know what I mean? If they like, did, they'd, be in... they'd be screwed fast. Yeah. So like, yeah, you're rich, but you're still, you know, broke. It's, it's all still going somewhere. So you may as well be rich in whatever, yeah. happiness and freedom and time and time is freedom. And that's, to me, more valuable. It's um, possible to be a slave to things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So especially, you know, America, that's kind of what we're taught. So yeah. I, and it's what you see around you. So it's kind of the default way to go. And it's like we were talking about. It becomes immature to say otherwise. And it was really hard. Like, I fully admit I'm immature. But I do not think that it is immature to follow dreams. That is not immature. That's admirable. You know? So, anyway, to take it back, starting a print magazine, don't. Wouldn't recommend it Um, in 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, not when there's free. I mean, you know, if you have a whatever, if if you want to get your voice out there, I would start, obviously, on the free channels build your voice build your brand mm-hmm. you know whether it's youtube or social media and stuff like that you just gotta stick with it the problem is when something's free it's easy to start it's easy to quit you know like you don't have yeah. much investment it's kind of weird it, you know like to start a brand or a media company or what media is such an overused word now <laughs> but to start any kind of brand it doesn't take nearly as much as it used to and i guess that's the good thing about living in you know social media age and all that but i would just caution you yeah because it doesn't take much effort to start it also can fizzle quickly you're not mm-hmm. as married to it so marry yourself to it and then get to a point if you really want to print you know go, <laughs> go for that just commit to it that's a that's a good moral to end on right there. Yeah. Just commit. Yeah. I mean, uh, put yourself, you know, it's that whole little saying, burn the ships, and I don't even know where that came from. I think it's, I don't think it's real, but some sort of general or something they flew across, <laughs> whatever, sailed across the ocean to go, you know, conquer an enemy, and when they got there, the general burned the ships. Yeah. So you better win. <laughs> you know? We're not going home. Yeah. yeah. So, it's you know, it's that kind of thing. You just got to have that kind of commitment to it. And eventually... You'll stumble into something. You know what I mean? If you if you commit to it enough and you say yes and you just do enough things, eventually you're like, oh, yeah, something happened. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Even if it's not the original dream, if you just keep on keeping on, yeah. usually doors open. You end up in some right place at some right time, yeah. So you just got to make yourself available to be in some right place at some right time. 
That's it. And don't be afraid to take advantage of opportunities when you you know have that gut feeling that yeah. Hey, this is something well, I should yeah, do. Well, yeah, when you finally do see a door crack open, you barge in that thing. So, yeah, man. Well, thank you for coming in, man. This has been awesome. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> yeah, you being dude. my guinea pig and yeah, yeah, yeah. being the first on the show here. Yeah, so, it's an honor. Hopefully, we'll get you back on one day soon. Hell yeah. All right. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's fun.